0: So, if you plan to make history in 2019, you have about 60 more hours to make that happen. I don't know what your plans were going into 2019, but if you haven't fulfilled the plans that you set for yourself, you have about 60 hours to finish that off. I'm not really suggesting that any of us uh, necessarily made these great lofty plans uh, for some new discovery or some new approach to doing something that changes the world as we know it. I'm just talking about the day-to-day stuff of your life. If you started out 2019 hoping to change a few things, you've got about 60 hours or so to do that before your opportunity in 2019 is over. Then you pick up 2020. So here's what I would like to do. I would like to not really uh, push you at the point of New Year's resolutions because uh, I think that for most people, the decision about New Year's resolution has long since been made. Either you're for it and you do that, or you're not for it and you run from that. <clears throat> so I'm not going to try to change your mind about that, uh, but I do want to impact your thinking just a little bit. John Acuff is a, an award-winning art, um, author And he has uh, written several books that have made the New York Times bestseller list. And uh, his most recent one that's been published is a book entitled Finish. And on page one of Acuff's book entitled Finish, he says this, and I quote, The start does matter. The beginning is significant. The first few steps are critical, but they are not the most important you know what matters most? The finish, end quote. Acuff dives into a discussion about the tendency that many people have to have their goals, to have their, their forecasted uh, activities, to have them not finish. It's not that they're not worthy. It's not that they don't matter. It's just that for some reason, people tend to get sidelined and sidetracked and ultimately even paralyzed when it comes to their goals. And so they just don't happen. So I want you now to do this with me for just a couple of minutes. I don't want to hit you at the point of New Year's resolutions. What I want to do though, is I want you to think about the finish Of 2020. So as best you can, let's go forward 12 months. 12 months and two days to be exact, so that we stand in this little exercise that we're going through in our heads. We stand on the final day of the year 2020. And you look back over the year past, the year that is 2020, and I want you to think about how you want that day to look in your life. What do you want to have accomplished in this coming calendar year? What is it that you want to see in your own personal life, whether it's a a hobby or a skill set or something like that? What are your goals as you go into the new year? But I don't want you to think about the start of those. I want you to think about the finish of the year and how you have changed over the next 12 months. Is it possible... Is it possible that maybe God wants this to be a year of major spiritual growth for you? Is it possible that maybe as you stand on that final day of 2020 and you look back over the year past that you see this this growth process that God has brought you through that totally changes how you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ? I, I think that... What happens a lot of the times with Christians is that we kind of settle into what 's comfort comfortable, kind of like that video that we saw just a few moments ago we We settle into what may be normal but The normal that we settle into is likely abnormal as it relates to what God says is normal for his followers. And it's very possible that we settle into that and we go year after year after year and nothing really changes. We don't progress as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not suggesting that that's you necessarily, but I do know that for many of us, that's the approach that we take to the Christian life. I'm comfortable in this, and so I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. But is it possible that maybe God's designed, not just for you as an individual, but for us as a church, that God might really want to do some major growth and development work in us this year? So we stand at the end of the year and look backwards, and we come back to this day, and we recognize that the choices we make this day have a definitive impact On that day. So, what are you doing this year? What I want to do today and the next two Sundays is a mini series that goes into the new year and helps us to do so as we finish out our study of the book of Hebrews. Now, we worked our way up through chapter 11, or at least up to chapter 11, during our Christmas series, but I I want to take what the writer of Hebrews does for us and let's take a step forward. As we look into the new year, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 12 today. Specifically, we'll be in verse 1, but I'll read the first couple of verses and then we'll come back the next two weeks and uh, hang some meat on the skeleton, so to speak, that we will build today. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, the writer says this Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Today is the day to begin your plan for what God wants to do with you in the coming year. A couple of questions bubble to the surface for me as we read this text. The first one is, what is this race that the writer of Hebrews talks about? So I, I want to make a statement here. I don't want to argue with anybody, okay? I don't, you don't need to send me an email about this. You don't need to catch me at the door, and let's, you know, debate it out. But here's my personal opinion. I do not believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, okay? You don't have to agree with that. I respect your right to be wrong. That's all totally... <clears throat> So let me make a definitive statement. No one knows except God himself who wrote the book of Hebrews, okay? So it's just not worth fighting over. I I wrote that on a paper when I was in seminary, and the professor said, well, you might be right, but that's not the answer I was looking for. (laughs) I, I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews, but I do think Paul influenced the writer of Hebrews, One of the reasons I say that is because of the way this verse reads. We find this, some other uh, indicators that I'm talking about. That'll be a different discussion sometime. But in this case, the writer of Hebrews borrows an image that Paul uses in his writings in the New Testament. It's an image that comes out of the uh, athletic world. And it's the, the idea is, as he says there in the latter part of verse 1, and let us run with endurance the race that is set up before us. It's an image that draws us in. It graphically helps to portray for us on how we should live out our Christian life. And he uses this, this picture word, this word of, of running a race, of competing in some kind of an athletic endeavor in which there is one person who is fighting not just against the other people, but fighting against himself to get to the prize. It is the word race. And particularly here, specifically here, Paul is drawing back, I push you back into Hebrews chapter 11, where in verse 6 it says that uh, without faith it is impossible to please God. Verse 1 of chapter 12 uses the word therefore. I'll I'll close with an observation about that today. But he's pointing us backward here in verse 1, and he's using that image of, of the reality for us that we must live our lives in faith in such a way that we honor God with our lives. And so he refers to it here as a race, It's not the literal race, although we'll see some some corollaries to that, but it's that point of living that we choose that is our following Jesus kind of lifestyle. In other words, he's encouraging them. Run that race. Live that life. Follow Jesus in a way, as he describes here, and we will look at. Let's be clear that this race, this life of following Jesus, is neither easy nor peaceful sometimes. As a matter of fact, he's writing to a group of first century Christians who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ and they've stepped out of their old life and they've committed themselves to following Jesus, but, but they're taking it on the chin. It's it's a difficult situation for them. And throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer has continued time after time not only to argue for how important it is to stay with Jesus, but to help them recognize that the trials that they face and those difficulties that they come up against in life because they're following Jesus are not reason enough to stop. It is a race that needs to be run. It's neither casual nor easy. And there are incredible pressures that must be overcome lest you stop. For those of you who have experienced life in the race, and I'm talking about real races now, uh, you understand a little bit about how easy it is to talk yourself into stepping out of the race. When I, I, I know the first thing you think of when you look at me is, there's a picture of fitness right there. I, I know that that's what you think. And uh, there is, um, actually, there's a point in my life where my addiction of choice was running. Now, I've told you, we've rehearsed a little bit in here some of our uh, uh, tendency towards addictive behavior. And and there was a time in my life when pushed aside the other stuff and I adopted as the thing that I wanted to do all the time was run. And uh, so it was... For, for many years, I averaged 25 to 35 miles running a week and many weeks, many more than that as I trained for three different marathons, run, ran a lot of half marathons and 10-mile races. And So I, I'm a little bit familiar, at least in that back part of my life. I'm familiar with how easy it can be to want to quit in the middle of a race. I, I, God used that running part of my life to teach me a lot of Great truth, spiritual truth that even sticks with me to this day. For instance, I I remember a particular day. We lived in South Texas, and uh, you know, until I moved to El Paso, I thought South Texas had really strong winds, but we moved to Wind Central out here in El Paso. We understand a little bit of that. But on this particular day, I had scheduled to run a 10-mile race. It was a loop course. I was going to leave my house and run some of the canals, the irrigation canals down in South Texas that had come off of the Rio Grande River and watered orchards and that kind of stuff. So I was going to be kind of running out in the country, and uh, and I set up 10 miles. And so as I left the house, actually even before I left, I looked outside and palm trees were you know blowing almost like hurricane type. Reaction. I was thinking, man, it's awfully windy to to run today. Maybe I'll just stay home and do it on a different day. And that addiction part of me kicked in. And I said, no, I'm going to go do it. And so I went out. The first mile was horrible. I mean, it was just running straight into the wind. And I I just didn't want to be there. That continued into the second mile of this 10-mile run. And I was really close to the end of that second mile. And I, I was having this discussion with myself. The discussion was kind of like the guy on the video, you're an idiot for being out here. (laughs) And the other part of me would answer back and say, I know, aren't I? Well, you should quit. You know, you don't have to do this. You could do this tomorrow. You've already run a mile, almost two miles. Just turn around and go back, and that'll be a nice four-mile warm-up for tomorrow's 10-mile run. And and I just kept pushing. And finally, I I believe God gave me this truth. And I believe that not just because of that day when I finished that 10-mile run, but because of the way he's brought it back to me so many times in my life, in my Christian life especially. Here's the truth. You can give in to the pressures that are out there or you can embrace the difficulty and push through it, and God will make you stronger because of it. God will teach you things when you don't quit that you would never learn if you do quit. I say that here not just because the writer of Hebrews is pointing that argument to them, but he is also pointing it to us. We live in a time when it is not easy to be a Christian. I hate to be, you know, one who gives bad news out, but my suspicion is that it's not going to get any easier to be a Christian in America than it is today. I think it's just going to get harder. And so there are people in our churches populating our church services even this day, not just here but everywhere. There are people who are seriously considering just stepping out of the race. I just don't want to pay the price anymore. It's just too hard. Maybe it's because we've grown a little cynical about the world around us. Maybe we are a little skeptical about some of the claims of Christianity that we just kind of maybe blindly accepted before. Maybe it's because some of us have been disappointed by God and we don't feel like... Maybe he did what we wanted him to do for us. It's not easy being a Christian in our world today. Let me take it off of the term and let's put it into the lifestyle. It's not easy consistently following Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says, in no uncertain terms, run this race. Don't give in. It's not over. Christian life is not easy, but it is worth running. Sometimes I'm afraid that in our world today, many Christian people have settled into that comfort zone to the point that they're willing to wear the uniform, if you will, to carry the title Christian, but to arrest any kind of growth and development in their lives, to just stop growing. It would be ludicrous, and I I suspect that none of us would even be willing to say, I've achieved the highest level of following Jesus that is available. I don't think any of us in this room would say that, but we effectively say that when we say, I'm just going to sit back and take it easy and not Worry about growth. So back to the question that drives the message this morning. Is it possible that maybe God would say to you and say to me and say to us collectively as a church that 2020 can be a year of phenomenal growth? I'm not just talking about people through the doors. I'm talking about individually your life of a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that God might take you to a place that you today don't even know is out there. Run the race. When you're tempted to quit, don't. <laughs> so let me take you to one of those marathons that I ran. Um, it, was, it was aptly in, uh, titled Fun Fest marathon. If ever there were two words that should never go together, fun fest marathon. Now you know a marathon is 26.2 miles. I used to really get frustrated with people who would leave the point 2 off, and then I realized the only reason they leave the point 2 off is cuz they've never run a marathon before. They don't know that that's the hardest point 2 miles that you could ever imagine. It's the last 2.2. .2. So in Amarillo, Texas. I ran the Fun Fest Marathon. Now I had run the half marathon several times, uh, a couple of times, and so I had decided one year I'm going to run the full marathon this time. And so uh, we went up there, and the race started. Now the race, the Fun Fest Marathon in Amarillo, in those days, I, I guess it's still on, but it started at the parking lot of the Baptist Hospital out on the edge of town, and it ran out of town to Bushland, Texas. Anybody been to bushland? Uh, My suspicion is that if you've ever been there, that's probably enough for you, okay, uh, to go once. Bushland is 10 miles outside of Amarillo. It's flat land. It's 10 miles out there. It has a grain elevator and a flashing light. The grain elevator is, I don't know, five or six stories high maybe. I know this. It was high enough that from the moment we left the parking lot at the Baptist Hospital, I could see that grain elevator. And so for 10 miles. You know how long it took me to run 10 miles? Six days. (laughs) For 10 miles, all you see is that grain elevator, and you run to it. And then when you get to it, you're, you're rewarded by turning around and running right back to where you started. So in other words, 20 miles of this race is on flat land straight out and straight back. Now, so far, so good. And I trained hard for that. It wasn't the first marathon I'd run, and I knew what to expect a little bit. And so uh, I made it through that 20 miles. Now, if you've ever run a marathon, you know that the halfway point of a marathon is 20 miles. The last six, you run on adrenaline and otherwise because your body has depleted its energies typically by that time. And so the last 6.2 miles of that race were a torture device. Because whoever the knucklehead was who designed the course for that, 20 miles of flat running where it's a mental problem, mental trip, and then when you hit the 20-mile mark, it's one hill after another, a rolling hills series that finally ended in a park after a long downhill run. The course made it the hardest marathon that I had ever run. The writer of Hebrews has been rehearsing for the readers of the first century and for us by extension that the course of this race called the Christian life is full of difficulties. It's not easy. Sometimes we try to, excuse my terminology here, but sometimes we try to sell Christianity as if it's a life that's, full of all honey and no bees, that it's just a walk through the roses. The problem with that description is it's not accurate. The Christian life has struggles built into it. It, we can look back through church history and starting with these recipients of this letter and we can see that it's not always easy. It was so hard for them that many of them were saying, I'm not doing this anymore. Several places in the book of Hebrews, he, he pauses his bigger argument to, to lock in on that sentiment that they have. You're trying to step out of this and you can, where would you even go if you didn't have Jesus? And yet, there is that part of us It says, this is just too hard. I'm not going to do it. When you find yourself there, here's a good question to ask. Where's God in this? (laughs) I know that that kind of rankles a little bit of our, our sensitivities as Christians to think that we might actually question God about something. So let me just give you a little permission to do that, but listen to the whole part here, okay? Uh, It's one thing to whine. It's another thing to ask a serious question of God. And the difference is whining, you don't care what God says in response. Asking a serious question of God and expecting his answer and being committed to his answer, even before you know what it says, that's okay. We find that throughout Scripture. Moses did that and others did. Habakkuk and others. So when you find yourself in this year ahead going through difficult things because of your commitment to walk with Jesus Christ ask the question, God, where are you in this? How do I find your input in this? It's a good question to ask and the writer of Hebrews actually gives us a bit of an answer to that here. Let's go back to the last part of verse 1. I'll read it again. It says this, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let me take you back to middle school grammar here for just a moment. Please bear with me. I know that we all hate grammar lessons, but bear with me for a moment because if we just observe this one little verb here, and how that it is presented for us, it gives us some answers as to how do we get through this and who designed this course that is so tough for me. The verb is that last part of it there. Again, verse 1, the race that is set before us. Two observations. The first one is that is a present tense verb. In other words, the course is ongoing, it's fresh, the scenery that you get. Here's the problem with that marathon I ran in Amarillo. When you start and you can see the destination 10 miles out there, your brain says, you'll never get there. But the nature of the Christian life is that this course for this race, using his terminology, is constantly being refreshed. Let me say that a different way. If you get to the end of 2020 and the scenery of your Christian life is the same as it is at the end of 2019, then you've missed something of your journey with God in that year because He is constantly refreshing the course, the course that is set before us. That's one thing. That only comes as you walk with him and listen to him as you walk through the course of your life and run through the course. Here's the second observation, grammatically speaking, and that is that this course is also, according to what he says here, it's written in the passive sense. It is being set. Let me just pause. Sometimes we miss basic stuff about theology uh, when it's just laying right there on the paper for us. So let's pause here and catch this. The course that is being set. That's a passive thing. Our world will tell us that we are the masters of our own destiny. That if you can dream it up, you can do it. There's a theological word for that. The word is garbage You see, if, if I can set my own destiny, and you can set your own destiny, and the path of your destiny that you set intersects and causes mine to go offline, then that sets us up for a problem. One of the reasons that we embrace Jesus Christ. is because he has promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I have a plan for your life. We, we have all of these theological truths that we carry around with us. And then if we're not careful, we step out of them in the name of modern garbage thinking that says, if I can just dream it up, I can do it. I understand what that uh, statement is trying to say, but theologically it's a train wreck. The theological truth I want us to get from this is that God is actively, intimately involved with you in this race. It's his course that is being set. You run the race on the course that he sets, but he didn't leave you in the process of that. No matter how hard it gets for you, He doesn't just step away from you and go, whoop, well, I didn't see that coming, sorry. God will never do that with you. He's always guiding you, walking with you, sometimes shoving you a little bit if that's what it takes. So rest assured that regardless of what the cost is for you, God is there. It's a great time to hold to that truth I mentioned a few moments ago. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means no matter how hard your journey looks, no matter how hard the course is for you, he's there. He's active. He's plotting for you what's next. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Let's make sure we settle that. Just because God's involved with you through it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You've heard me say before, I hope that it's beginning to trickle down into your heart, out of your ears and into your heart. God is more interested in your growth than he is in your comfort. So many of our prayers are centered on comfort. Either comfort for us, Lord, take this pain away. Lord, take this sickness away. Those are not bad prayers as long as we realize that God is more interested in our growth and our development and our following than he is in our comfort level. So don't make that mistake, but don't ever underestimate underestimate God's involvement with you. That leads me to this last thing. If, If it's so difficult, if we know that there are struggles out there, If we know that along the course of this race, there is quicksand, wouldn't it make sense not to run it? For some of us, we would say, yes, that's just too much. There's there's too much pain involved for me to take the chance of getting out of my comfortable little situation. So we go back to the writer of Hebrews for that. It's interesting the way he writes this. The primary part of the verse, that, that section that drives everything around it. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll get what's around it to give you a little more practical hands-on, okay, so if I'm going to run this race, how do I go about that? We'll talk about that some more from this text. But the principal part of this, the thought that drives the whole thing, is the one where he says, we, and he, it's actually intense there, we ourselves should run this race, It's not that we don't have a choice, because we do, but the writer, he, he's an incredible wordsmith, the writer of Hebrews. He takes this word, and he writes it in such a way that he balances, he, he injects into it, and then he balances these two sides of the, of the coin, if you will. There, there's one part that's a pleading kind of a thing. We sh, you should do this. Imagine, if you will, a coach Who's training some athletes? And and he's been training these athletes, and it's race day, and he sees his athlete who he's been training coming around the corner of the track, and the look on that athlete's face says, He's whipped, he's not gonna make it. And the coach pleads, cajoles. The coach says, Come on, man, you can do this. Come on, man, don't quit. It's a pleading kind of a thing. We should run, he says. Don't give up, he says. But as I said, he's a wordsmith, so he takes that part of it and he balances it with the other part of it, which is the coaches that I always had, which is, come on, road trammel, straighten up. Sorry to yell at you, but that's how he would said it to me. He balances that pleading, come on, encouragement kind of With that exhortation that only a coach can give. Don't you quit. Work at it. Run. What a great statement from our coach, Jesus Himself. You got to run this race. Get after it. Great coaches know that the game is won in the preparation process. It's the five days of practice that help you know you can win the game. You still got to win the game. You still got to show up on game day. Hello, Dallas Cowboys. You still have to do that. But you win the game in the preparation. So God's been preparing you all of your life for 2020. What are you going to do with that race? Where's God in the struggle? But where are you in the race? One last little piece of this. Again, he's a brilliant writer. Notice the first two words of verse 1. Therefore, since. That's a double emphasis on chapter 11. He has said in no uncertain terms, don't quit, run the race. But before he ever gets to that, he says, let me point you backwards. Therefore, since. All of chapter 11 is that encouragement to live by faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. He drives that point home, and he gives all of these examples in chapter 11 of faithful people who, even though it was hard, even though they couldn't even see the destination, they stayed faithful with God. Therefore, since we have those people, in case you're here today and you're thinking, I just don't know if I want to put the work in. You know, we... Sometimes we settle into an abnormal Christianity just because we don't like change. First of all, it's a lie to say we don't like change. Let me reiterate that for you. It's a lie to say that you don't like change because you change your clothes every day. Well, I hope you change your clothes every day. You change your menu nearly every day. You change lanes while you're driving every day. So the reality is it's not that you don't like change, it's that you don't like the change you don't like. And that's a killer for us in our Christian lives if we're not careful because we can settle in to a subnormal Christianity and think that it's normal and then live there for decades because we don't want to change it. It's comfortable to us. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we have this cloud of witnesses who has gone before us, run the race. And running the race involves change. I want you to think about the people who have gone before us in this church, who have sat in this room, in those pews, and modeled a growing Christianity to us. We talk a lot about building bridges around here. We're going to continue talking about building bridges. Most of the time we're talking about building bridges into this community, the key people, key people groups, and taking the good news of Jesus Christ and the life that he offers. And we'll continue talking about that. But let me use a different, the same metaphor, but a different uh, application. We are a bridge between generations. There have been those who came before us, like chapter 11, who have modeled for us what it means to walk with Jesus Christ and grow. And there will be those who will come after us. By the way, there will come a day, unless Jesus comes back first, there will come a day when every one of us in this room will be dead and gone. It's a closed system. Nobody gets out alive. And before that final person goes, we will hand off the baton to the next generation. Under God... Let's not have them look at us and say, what were you doing? So position yourself on the final day of 2020 and look backwards to this day. What decisions do you make today that change things at the end of 2020? Hebrews writer says, run. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to take these words, to take your words as we find them in Hebrews 12.1 and burrow them deep within us. May they be discomforting for us, that they would challenge us every day of the coming year. Not that we would make a bunch of plans that seem right but that we would make the plan to follow you and hear your voice every day that you would grow us and change us and challenge us is our prayer in Jesus name amen let's stand and sing whatever God is dealing with you about now's the time to do something about that let's sing